turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians, or as my seminary professor used to say, 2 Corinthians. Turn with, with me to 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles available for you to use on the back table, as well as you can follow along in the insert found in your bulletin. We have been, these last several weeks here at Ascension, uh, for those of you who are visiting, we've been jumping around a bit in God's Word, uh, looking at various passages that teach us, that encourage us concerning our priorities as the people of God, and much of that has had to do with us as a corporate people of God. Some of that has trickled down into us as individual believers before uh, our Lord. Born out of the the church calendar, born out of our needs uh, as a corporate body, born out of my own heart and what the Lord has been doing in your pastor, um, these have all been some of the things that have characterized us or should characterize us as, as a pilgrim people, as those who ultimately long for a future and long for a place that is better than this. Well, today I'd like to put even a finer point uh, on that very thing that I just stated to you, and by God's grace, I'd like to increase or maybe awaken in you a deeper and more intense longing for what is to come, for what is to come. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 is where we find ourselves this morning. And if you're able and willing, I'd invite you out of honor uh, for the Lord and His Word to stand for this reading of God's Word. Uh, I know my At least one of my children asked, why don't we stand for every time the word is read? And we certainly could do that. It would be proper to do that. But we do set apart this word uh, before it is preached as uh, worthy of standing, certainly. And so listen as I read and follow along. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may be found, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that he would be further, but we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are of always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I suspect I'm not alone in this fact. You just ask my family, and particularly when I'm driving, as my wife says, I have issues when I drive. I hate to wait. Sometimes I'm just not a very patient man. We all hate to wait, don't we? To some degree, we we hate. You've heard, of the, you've heard the statistics depending on what particular sociological number cruncher you turn to. The average person in a Western contact, context in the course of his or her life will wait, stand in line, or sit at a traffic light somewhere between six months of your life to five years of your life. It's a long time to be waiting If we're spending that kind of time waiting, it occurred to me that we ought to figure out how to wait well. I was running the other day and I ran past a bus stop close to my house and it was interesting because there were a number of people waiting and I was struck by the fact that as you might expect in our modern day culture, as they were waiting, none of them were paying attention to the other. They all were on their devices, engrossed in their phones, likely avoiding the awkwardness of standing with strangers. It was almost as if the the journey to their destination had had little worth. They were just finding ways to, to endure until they arrived. Is that what waiting well looks like? Just enduring, just grin and bear it or, or distract yourself? I bring up the idea of waiting this morning because we in the church, we as followers of Jesus, are a people characterized by waiting. We are called to wait on the absolute grandest of scales. We're pilgrims, the Bible says. We're pilgrims journeying to a place. We are exiles that are longing for a home. And so what does waiting for the church look like? What does waiting well look like? Not at a bus stop, not at Trader Joe's, but in life. And and what are you waiting for? That's where I want to begin to explore and meditate today. Three encouragements this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the first one is this. Every point is going to have waiting well because that's the theme, that's the title of this sermon. Waiting well begins and ends with Jesus. Waiting well begins and ends with Jesus. We, we must begin here, even briefly. Because I don't want to just assume, even in a context like this, that everyone here is waiting for the same thing. 
Some of you may be here this morning and you don't know what you're waiting for. You don't know what you're waiting for because you don't really know what you are living for. And some of you this morning, I suspect the majority of you, though you know what you're waiting for, you're so focused on your present living that you rarely ever think about the waiting or about what is to come. And so no matter what category you find yourself in this morning, this is a message for you. See, Paul is writing this letter to an ancient church, and the Holy Spirit has preserved it for us here today. And he's given it to those who have been given eyes to see, to understand, and to believe and submit to what Jesus has accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and in his ascension. And it's why he begins this, these verses, this new discussion with the words, for we know. In other words, Paul says, these are realities that at some level, Church of Christ, you have an acknowledgement and a comprehension of through your faith in Jesus. He writes to Titus in Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, re- who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And so as we talk about waiting, as we think about waiting, we must believe this, the gospel. We simply can't wait well without Jesus. You can wait. We live in a world of people who are waiting for something. They don't know what they're waiting for, but they're not waiting well. And it's not just where Paul begins with for we know, it's also where he ends, where he closes this discussion. Verse 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Friends, judgment is coming. Jesus is coming And this is a judgment that holds no terror for those who are in Jesus, but for those who are without Him, there ought to be absolute dread. Hebrews 4.13, No creature is hidden from His sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. And so the first thing we set our hearts on this morning is the invitation by God a God of holiness, a God of majesty, to put on the robes of righteousness that is Jesus. He has taken your punishment. He has earned the Father's love. And he now invites you, safe in that shelter, to wait, to wait for his return. So waiting well begins and ends with Jesus. But let's dip our toes in that water and ask a little more about what waiting looks like. The second truth 
that I want to focus most of our time on is this. Waiting well involves groaning. Waiting well involves groaning. Last Wednesday, it was one year since my mom's mom, my grandma Sutton, since her body finally failed her at the ripe age of 100 years old and her spirit finally went to be with the Jesus that she had long desired to be with. Grandma Sutton was so ready. She longed to see him. Many of you have had that similar experience with aging loved ones in the Lord. I know that our own Jeanette Hawkinson expressed that readiness fervently right before she went to be with the Lord before our very eyes. But if we're honest, it's much easier to have that kind of discontentment when the eyes are failing, when the ears just aren't hearing as well as they used to, when the joints, the joints are aching every day. And some of you I know, and I don't want to minimize this fact, some of you don't need years of life to bring you to this point because you've experienced cancer. You experience chronic pain. You've experienced great loss and you've been led to a similar place. And yet for so many of us, this is really a challenge, a challenge to, to nurture that discontentment, to, to nurture that longing. You see, when the body feels good, when the bonus checks are, are flowing, when life is moving fast and, and everything feels so earthy and, and, and comfortable, it's hard. And yet, yet, Paul says we are, in verses 2 and 4, we are to be groaning. In Romans 8.23, he writes to the church and he says, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so, I realize I'm coming at this passage from a slightly different angle this morning. Slightly It's likely not an angle that that every one of you need. I hope all of you can benefit from, but I know some of you need it. You see, I'm coming from the angle of our armchairs of comfort, from our easy access to top-of-the-line medical care, from lives filled to the brim with distraction with toys. And I'm coming with the call to be discontent, to groan, to long for something more, to long for something better. And Paul helps us here. God's word helps us here. And he does so by giving us this this word picture. He says in verse One, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. First word picture gives us is a tent. If there was anyone who knew tents, it was the itinerant leather maker and tent maker, Paul. 
right? Of course, God's people knew tents. They had wandered in the wilderness. Their forefathers had wandered in the wilderness for years. Tents are temporary. Tents are easily taken down. They're, they're flimsy. They're subject to decay. They're subject to damage. And, and this, Paul says, is what we currently dwell in. The tent is our bodily existence. We all live in tents, but not for long. Because the second picture that Paul gives us is the tent is temporary, but there is coming for us a building, a dwelling of strength and permanency into eternity, a dwelling that only God could manufacture. Now, this idea of of permanent bodies into eternity, this, this idea would have been a strange one. To many of Paul's original readers, and maybe it's a strange one to you listening this morning. You see, the Greeks and the Romans, regardless of religion, generally believed that the soul, the immaterial part of man, was good, while the body, the temporary part of man, was bad. Influenced by the philosophers of Plato and and Philo, some even in the early church thought of their souls as being imprisoned in bodies and needing to just be set free. And then Jesus was raised from the dead with a body, a body that could be seen, a body that could be touched and felt, a body that had fish on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You see, Paul is seeking to challenge that thinking and refute that thinking, and it's a thinking that we sometimes find in the church today. There's an old hymn that we used to sing here at Ascension. It's been taken out of rotation, we might say. Many of you grew up with it in the church. It says, when the shadows of this life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from these prison walls, I'll fly, I'll fly away. No more cold iron shackles on my feet, I'll fly away. Now, I'm not saying that hymn is all bad, but whether the hymn writer intended to or not, he certainly gives the impression that the material is to be absolutely shunned. Brothers and sisters, this is important. Not just because we want to think rightly about what the Bible reveals to us. And frankly, I think there is a lot of misunderstanding about what the Bible reveals to us about the future and about our hope. But because as C.S. Lewis once wrote, you can only hope for what you desire. And I want you to desire what's to come. That you might hope for what is to come. Because if you're like me, it's hard. I I think it's hard. It's hard sometimes to hope for, to groan for, to long for this ethereal existence in the heavens when I am a man of clay and while I'm incomplete and tainted and riddled with sin, I witness so much beauty around me and gain so much enjoyment in the context of being a son of God here on earth. And so Paul's writing here in 2 Corinthians 5 brings to the surface the biblical teaching, I think, on what we are waiting for. 
And this could be a whole nother sermon series, so we're not going to turn over every rock, but we're going to explore just a few things. You see, as Paul expresses his desire to be clothed in this new permanent covering, to be done away with the frailness that is the tent, we see here in Paul, I think it's amazing, we see here in Paul a glimpse of his personal longing to be alive when Jesus returned. See, in other words, he wants to skip death. And he wants to skip being separated from his body. Verse 3, he says, If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. See, the nakedness that he's referring to is what some theologians call the intermediate state. This is currently where Grandma Sutton is. This is where Jeanette Hawkinson is. This is where all of your loved ones who have died in Christ are. They're separated from their earthly bodies, and yet they are clearly, as verse 8 proclaims, with the Lord. Now, how they're with the Lord, we don't exactly know. Christ is there. He is in glorified bodily form, and so maybe there's some kind of temporary bodily existence. We don't know this for sure. What we do know is that where they are is not their eternity. Their bodies, as we know them, are in the ground. And they await a resurrection that is much more earthly than I think many of us have imagined. And I don't mean earthly in terms of fleshly. I don't mean earthly in terms of sinful. I mean earthly in terms of physical. Philippians 2, 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, for from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body our lowly body, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to be, to him even to subject all things to himself. Our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, states in chapter 32, the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls having an immortal subsistence, immediately returned to God who gave them, the souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest of heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. At the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed, and all the dead shall be raised with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. What that means is there is a transformation coming. There's a new reality. There is a new heavens. There is a new earth. And as Paul says it so beautifully here in 2 Corinthians 5, the mortal will be swallowed up by that which is life. And this isn't life in the clouds with harps and see-through bodies. This is life in a renewed creation, in a renewed earth. 
He will come again. Jerusalem will descend to earth and he will make all things new. He will restore what he was lost and his dwelling will be with his people. We are physical and spiritual beings and we are designed to be so. And so what does eternity look like? What does the future look like, this future that we're supposed to groan for? As one author writes, look out a window, take a walk, talk with a friend, use your God-given skills to paint or draw or build a shed or write a book, but imagine it, all of it in its original condition, the happy dog with the wagging tail, not the snarling beast beaten and starved, the flowers unwilted, the grass undying, the blue sky without pollution, people smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, or empty, and if you're not in a particular beautiful, particularly beautiful place, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you've ever, sent, you've ever been, complete with palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, or snowdrifts. Think of friends and family members who love Jesus. Picture them with you walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. You are laughing, you're playing, you're talking, you're reminiscing. You reach up to pick a tree, to reach up to a tree to pick an apple or an orange and you take a bite and it's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. And now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus. And he's got a big smile on his face. And, and what's that smell? It's a feast. There's a party ahead. And you're invited. And there's exploration. And there's work to be done. And you can't wait to get started. Now that is a future that I can groan for. Yes, a future with no tears. With no loss with no injustice. But not a future that's lost to my imagination. But a future that I can take all the beauty and all the goodness that God pronounced good when He spoke it into being and it will be good again. Perfectly good again. You see, in the throes of, of life and the grind of our busyness, we need this perspective. God calls us to set our hearts and our minds on heaven. Waiting well involves groaning. Well, lastly, the last truth I want to see from 2 Corinthians 5 is this. Waiting well requires vision. I might add grace, but that's a given. Everything requires grace. But waiting well requires vision. There's a story about a swimmer named Florence Chadwick. She had already become the first woman ever to swim both ways across the English Channel years ago. And now she's taken up the challenge of swimming from Catalina Island, an island just west of uh, the Southern California coast, to the coast of Southern California. I don't remember exactly how long the distance is. It's quite a distance. It was a cool and foggy Morning, the day of her attempt, and after 15 hours of swimming across this expanse of water, she was tapped out. And of course, she had her support team there. I think this was in the 50s. 
And her team insisted her mother was there, and her mother insisted that she could do it. She was almost there, but she was just done, physically done, emotionally done. And so she said, pull me out of the water. I can't go any further. Well, once she got in the boat, she realized she was less than half a mile from the shore. And the next day at the news conference, where she was debriefing about her experience, she said this, and I quote, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. You see, in this last point, waiting well requires vision. We revisit a theme that we talked about two weeks ago. This idea that our eyes need to be continually lifted up beyond what we see. We need more than just sight. We need vision. And Paul says a similar thing here in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so we take all the realities we know, all the certain promises that we've been given. We acknowledge the Spirit of God who is given to us as a guarantee of what is to come. And we long, we hope, and as Paul says here, we don't lose heart, but we can be of good courage because we can see the shore. We can see what's coming And so amidst all the suffering, amidst all the heartache, amidst all the loss, amidst all the loneliness, amidst all the injustice, we not only pine for what is to come, but we, verse 9 says, we make it our aim to please Him. We do this because we know that He is returning again and the fruit of our lives will need to exhibit the love of our lives. And we do this because This world is not just a sinking ship that we're to be shining the brass on before it goes to the bottom of the ocean. No, this world is a future home where full renewal and complete rain is coming. And so people of God wait for Him with groaning. Serve Him with confident hope of what He is bringing Don't let the fog throw you off. Many of you know my love for music. I grew up listening to music in my home, and the Lord speaks to me so often through music. And one song in particular, ever since my childhood, has been one of my absolute favorites and will be till the day I die. And it's a song that came to mind as I was studying this passage It's a song called If I Stand by a guy named Rich Mullins. There's more that rises in the morning than the sun. And there's more that shines in the night than just the moon. It's more than just this fire here that keeps me warm in a shelter that is larger than this room. There's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiments and a music higher than the songs that I can sing. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things. So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that has borne in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home.
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that lies before us, for the peace and for the joy that we can have even now. Because of that hope and because of what Christ has accomplished. But Father, I pray as we go from this place that you, Holy Spirit, would do a work in us. Not just fixing our eyes on Jesus, but fixing our eyes on his return and all that he comes to bring and the joy of watching all things being made new and and, and experiencing that. Lord, we want to wait well. We want to wait with with groaning. We want to wait with, with a holy discontentment that we might not be like the world around us that is happy as can be with the here and now. Oh, Father, teach us and grow us in your grace and by the power of your word, by the working of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.